This is going to be kind of a, a, a little different. It's almost like a introductory study into, I mean, I know last week we ended right in the middle of uh, chapter 25 of Exodus. And this is a little introductory study because there's a lot of, I'm, I'm, I, I want to make an attempt to, um, to protect the hearers. Uh, because when you read through the law, when you read through the Old Testament and there's passages of the law in our, in our zeal for the Lord, in our zeal for holy things, you know, sometimes the enemy can twist things to where we start to follow and adhere to things of the law and to prevent against that. We're going to take a pause here in our study in Exodus and just reflect on certain things from Holy Scripture. You know, and I have to say here where Moses, you know, remember he's at Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain, you know, and a little bit lower from the mountain is Joshua. And then everybody else there, they returned to the camp. There were the 70 elders. But by the time we get to chapter 32, we find that those elders are joined back with the camp, the majority of the people. But I have to say, what a difference a year makes. What a difference a year makes. Because Moses right here, he is around the age of 81, 81 years old. It's revealed in chapter 7, verse 7, that he's 80 years old. Aaron is 83 years old. So they're old guys. You know, yes, they're old. But I think it's so cool because a lot of times as you get older, you start to get this mindset. You know, I can't speak from experience because I don't think I'm that, you know, I haven't hit my 80s yet. But when you talk to older folks, you know, sometimes they're like, man, you know, I'm done. You know, my glory days are behind me. But I think it's so beautiful because in the eyes of the Lord, what is age to the Lord? What is age to the Lord? You know, he's, he uses young people, old people, you know, everybody in between, male, female. It doesn't matter. The Lord is no respecter of persons. No respecter of persons at all. And I think it's so cool here because a year prior, look at what happens. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 really quick. A little refresher course in Exodus chapter 3. And if you remember, Moses had an encounter with the Lord at the burning bush. It says in verse 2 that the angel, an, the, uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire. And that's what's referred to as the burning bush. But if you look at verse 10, the Lord is speaking to Moses. And he says, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt. You know, it's so powerful here because where, mo where this event is happening at the burning bush, it's happening at the mountain of the Lord. If you remember, like in, uh, like in, in verse 1, he says, and he led the flock, this is Moses now, he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And that's it when you look at the map, that's right at the area where the Mount Sinai is. And a year later, we have where he's at the top of the mountain, all these things are accomplished. You know, the people are out of Egypt now by the mighty hand of the Lord. And, you know, it's such a trip because when... Moses was at the burning bush. I mean, think. I don't know if I can word this properly, but I mean, put yourself in his shoes, for example, or his sandals. You know, put yourself in his sandals or put yourself in his feet because the Lord told him to take off his sandals. Put yourselves in his feet, for example, like, okay, I hear a voice. You know, and I see this bush, it's on fire, it's not catching, it's not burning down, it's not turning black and getting smaller and smaller. The flame is there, but the bush is, like the tree is right there. And then all of a sudden you hear the voice of the Lord. 
He doesn't even know. Moses is like, you know, uh, 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 in verse 13, his, he says, well, then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? The Lord is like completely unknown to Moses. This is the beginning of a very, very beautiful relationship. You know, I, I feel weird kind of saying that because I don't know if I can say it's the beginning of the relationship. I could say it's the beginning where Moses realizes the relationship is there. But then you see the hand of God in the life of Moses, even when he was a baby. You see his parents, his mom, his sister, and all these things that happen as, a, as the course of events for such a time as this, for the roads to cross, so to speak. And it's such a trip because Moses, you know, the Lord tells to Moses, this is the promise he says in verse 21, still in Exodus chapter 3. In uh, verse 21, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Put yourself in Moses' situation for a moment. Here you are by yourself. You have the flock of Jethro. And here you are at the burning bush. And then you hear this voice say, Hey, you're going to plunder the Egyptians. Do you know how wild that sounds? The big, I meant God on earth, Pharaoh, who was referred to as God on earth, a big, powerful army, very, very powerful. And this voice that you hear is saying, hey, you're going to plunder these people. Think about how wild that would be to your ears. What are you talking about? How? Plunder? It's so beyond the wildest of imagination. Like, how can this even happen? And you know, I say put yourself in Moses' shoes. Or in his position. But what about promises that you read all throughout scripture where the Lord makes a promise and then all of a sudden it's like, Lord, how can this be? Look at my life right now. Look at me right now. Look at the situation with whatever it is. Look at the state of things in my life right now. And your word says this. And you know what's so cool about reading the Bible? And not just reading the Bible, but yielding to the spirit of the Lord and yielding to his teachings is that he shows himself. He, he shows himself faithful, faithful. It might not, you know, his promises might not be fulfilled, you know, in a week. It might take several years. It might take an entire lifetime. You might not even realize it until we're in the life to come. But that doesn't change the fidelity of the Lord in any way, shape, or form. It doesn't change his faithfulness. All through the ages, the Lord reveals himself as faithful. And you know what's such a trip here? When the Lord tells him, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. This plundering of the Egyptians, the gold, the silver, the material, the fabric. These are things that are later used in worship unto the Lord. They're later used in worship unto the Lord. That's where we're at in Exodus 25. When the Lord is telling Moses, hey, take a collection. Have the, the people are going to say, you know, they're going to come and bring their gold. They're going to bring their silver. And that's part of the plunder of Egypt. And you see the whole time the Lord is at work. Even when you're in situations where you have no idea what's happening. You know, stay faithful unto the Lord. Obey his word, obey his commandments. Because, you know, I mean, like, for example, what if like I'm like five, nine, my height. And what if, you know, there was a guy who was like 10 feet tall. You know, he would be able to see over, you know, certain uh, landscapes more than me 
Or what if, you know, the trees came up to seven feet? I can't see over seven feet, but he can. It's a similar concept. How much more our Father in heaven? When you nor I can see beyond, you know, X amount of distance, whatever it might be. But yet the Lord is at work. The Lord knows all these things. The Lord is, you know, putting the pieces together, so to speak. And all we do is walk in it. Walk in fidelity unto the Lord. Obey the Lord. And this plunder of the Egyptians, the, that material is going to be used for the tabernacle. What God is giving to Moses in Exodus 25. Giving him the blueprints of the tabernacle. The holy of holies. The holy place. The altar. And then the process for use of these things. And you know it blows me away. Because you know what happens. In, like turn with me now to Exodus 12. Exodus 12. And in Exodus 12. Uh, verse 35. And you know what's happening here is like the Egyptians, they're totally sick of the Israeli, like the Jewish people. They just can't stand them. Because look at all the, you know, all the, uh, uh, the plagues they've happened. You know, they've had the frogs, the, the water turned to blood. The famine, they've had uh, uh, pestilence. The firstborn are now dead. And so finally here what happens. It says here. Um, uh, where was it? I lost it. Uh, it, says, oh, it says in verse 33. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. Like Get out of here. We're done with you. We don't want you here. Because the longer you're here, it's worse for us. The longer you're here, it's worse for us. And they're like, you know, we're ready. Just leave. And it says here in verse, uh, uh, in verse 35. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. I think that's so powerful because, you know, it's like, you know, the Lord tells Moses. Moses tells the people. And it's so beautiful. And you don't just see it in Moses. You see it in Isaiah. You see it in Ezekiel. You, you see it in Jeremiah. All these prophets of old. You know, they would say, thus saith the Lord. You know why they said, thus saith the Lord? Because they had intimacy with the Lord. They had oneness with the Lord. And the Lord says, hey, tell my people this. Tell my people this. Go into this area and tell my people this. And so in obedience, they would go and say, okay, thus saith the Lord. And they were hated. But yet even still here, they says, now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. And they had, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. These are the materials that are going to be used for the tabernacle. We, we studied that last week. When the Lord was giving blueprints to Moses about using this gold to build the mercy seat. Unbeknownst to Moses, it was like, wow, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to get the blueprints. I'm just being obedient to the Lord. And, you know, he gets the blueprints at a later date. And what about you and me? What about you and me today, right here and now? The question remains... Who among us will stay faithful unto the Lord? You don't have to know, you know, what's going to happen in 20 years. What's going what's to happen, you know, in 80 years. What's going to happen tomorrow? But will you stay faithful? When the whole time the Lord shows himself faithful. Not just, you know, in the pages of scripture. <clears throat> he certainly shows himself faithful in the pages of scripture. But what about all the times in the past when he has shown himself faithful to you personally? And it's like, you know, you think he's not going to be there? Of course he's going to be there. You can, you can lean on him in all things. 
And you know what happens here in verse 36 says, And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. You see what's happening here? Now, the reason why we went to chapter 3 is like, you know, put yourself in Moses' situation. Like, Lord, this is so unbelievable. You're telling me that I'm going to plunder the Egyptians? And then you fast forward from chapter 3 to here in chapter 12. And what's happening? They're plundering the Egyptians. When Moses had no gold, no silver, no fabric for the, the tabernacle, no nothing. But the Lord told him, hey, I want you to go back to Egypt. And in obedience, he goes back to Egypt. Don't forget, he had a little helper, in lowercase h2, Zipporah, his wife, when the Lord wanted to kill him. Because, you know, a little problem he had with disobedience. But look at everything that transpires up until this point in chapter 12. When now they've plundered the Egyptians, they're leaving uh, Egypt and they're going wherever the Lord guides. There's that saying, you know, where God guides, he provides. I firmly believe it. And a lot of times people think about provision as money. But provision has nothing to do with money. And we're going to see that in the book of Acts. How the Lord provides for his people. And, uh, you know, not it's not always money. You know, sometimes provision is in the form of grace. Oh, Lord, help me, help me be gracious in this area. Because I want to say this, but no, that's my carnal nature. I can't say that, Lord. Give me grace. And then, boom, he gives you grace. You see, it's, it's a lot of times I get kind of frustrated because a lot of times, you know, it's like you talk to people and they say, yeah, I don't like the God of the Old Testament because he's a God of wrath and God of judgment and all these things. But when you read it, it's like, wait a second, I don't see judgment here. And I know this is, you know, judgment really came to Egypt at this particular passage in chapter 12. But don't forget a fellow by the name of Joseph. There was Joseph and mercy and grace came to Egypt. And you know what happens? In the land of Egypt, the Lord was forgotten. People forgot the Lord. They had no concept of who the Lord was. You know why? Parents didn't tell their kids. And then that generation would raise, would grow up, you know, they would, you know, have babies themselves. And then all of a sudden that generation didn't know the Lord. And then you have another generation upon generation upon generation that doesn't know the Lord. It, it happened here in Egypt where, you know, Israel was also, uh, you know, had, they had their little uh, separate living area in Egypt. It happened in, for the Israel as well. And not just here, it's, it's, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's really sad because even like when we get into the Kings and the Chronicles, there's generations that don't know the Lord. They forget the Lord. That's why we read these passages in the New, in the New Testament. And like it's always not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament, too. You know, remember how the Lord tells all the people, go and say to the people, remember, 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 don't forget, don't forget, don't forget, repent, repent, repent. Do you think there's a message there? How easy we forget. How easy we forget. Oh, wait, a little side note. I'm not following like the temperature, but if you guys get cold, just flip the switch. Um, and it's so powerful because we have the fulfillment here. Plundering of the Egyptians. It's not plunder for the sake of plunder. It's plunder for the sake of the tabernacle. And I say tabernacle because, you know, that's what's prescribed in, in, in Exodus 25. But at the same time, when you look at the mercy seat, you know, remember when we studied last week at the mercy seat in, in Exodus 25, verse 22, verse 21, actually says, You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. And there... I will meet with you and I will speak with speak with you. You see, the Lord desires that oneness with his people. That's what he desires with his people. 
You know, and it's such a trip because God is the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. You read Malachi, and I never change, says the Lord. He never changes. So what happened? You know what changes? Culture. Culture. People change. I mean, you don't need me to tell you these things. People change. What happened? You see people on fire for the Lord. And then five years later, two years later, are they still on fire for the Lord? You know, and sometimes these big events in life just rock. You know, they rock to the core. People get so depressed and then they turn to the drugs. People get so full of anxiety and they go to their doctor and say, Hey, doctor, I need some meds. And then they get their meds. And the whole time, the Lord, that's why, I, you know, you hear me refer to Habakkuk a lot. Because it's like in his, uh, in his sorrow, you know what he did? He turned to the Lord. In his sadness, he turns to the Lord. And what about those moments when you have these passages of Holy Scripture and people in their sorrow, they turn to the Lord. A woman who's barren, you know, by the name of Hannah. She's barren. And then she goes and she prays to the Lord. You know, and it's such a trip because what happens is that even the high priest, Eli, at the time, he thinks she's crazy. What are you doing here? Why are you here? And she would go and seek the Lord. And the Lord saw her. And the Lord honored her prayers. And you know, as New Covenant believers, turn with me now to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Hebrews 9, verse 1. The writer here says, Then indeed, even the first covenant, he's referring to the Old Testament, the covenant of the law. He says, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary for a tabernacle was prepared. This is the tabernacle that Moses is receiving the blueprints for in Exodus 25. It's no small thing at all. It's beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. He says, for a tabernacle was prepared. The first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, or called the holies, or the holy place. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, also referred to as the holy of holies. And you know, the Lord is giving the blueprints to Moses in Exodus 25. And the writer of Hebrews here, which I think is Paul. A lot of people say it's Paul. Some people say it's other people, but I'll explain that more when we get to Hebrews in four years. We just had our study through Hebrews. I say we just had it, but it was last year, I think. But you see, the Lord is doing something in Exodus and then here in Hebrews and in even today. I'll explain it further. He says in verse 4, Speaking about the holy of all, the holiest of alls, or the holy of holies, he says in verse 4, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. These are things that were, you know, we're at the very starting point in Exodus 25, the blueprints that God is giving to Moses, and we're seeing it right here in, referred to in Hebrews 9. And, you know, further uh, uh, explanation of that kind of like that model of the blueprint in verse 5. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. What we just read in Exodus 25 verse 30, 30, uh, 22. When the Lord says to Moses, it's there that I will meet with you and I will speak with you. These are the things at the mercy seat that the Lord is giving the blueprints for the tabernacle. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. 
Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services, but into the second part, this is the Holy of Holies, what was referred to a couple verses back, but into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. That's a hardcore statement right there. This is such a hardcore statement right here in verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was, yet, was not yet made manifest? I mean, if we were to go into a time machine and all of us were to pile up in the time machine, I hit a button, you know, whatever digits, and we go back in time. And then all of a sudden we're in the, uh, we, we're like in the desert and we see the tabernacle being constructed. And I say, hey, you guys, this tabernacle is not yet, or you know, uh, 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 the way into the holiest of all is not yet made manifest. You guys would think I'm crazy for saying that. What do you mean it's not manifest? I'm looking right at it. I mean, what if I were to tell you that Oliver one day would bench press 400 pounds. You think like, man, you're crazy, Jay. If, if you give him 400 pounds right now, you're going to kill him. It's too dangerous. And it's like, wait a second. I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about, you know, 20 years from now. 25 years from now. I'm talking about 25 years from now. But you know what? You don't see it right now. It requires faith. And I'm not saying, you know, faith in the, that all he's going to, you know, bench press 400 pounds. What about the promises of our Lord when it's like, Lord, this is impossible. You know, it is written here in verse 8. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. If we were in our time machine, you'd say, hey. Jay, you're crazy because I'm looking right at the holiest of holies right now. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, this is, look at what he says here. It's not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time or translates as that particular time. It was symbolic for that time. In which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Remember, the writer of Hebrews also writes about the little loopholes in the law. You say, well, Jay, that's hardcore. What do you mean? You know, that's disrespectful to the Lord. What do you mean there's loopholes in the law? Well, I'll tell you there's loopholes in the law. Because the writer of Hebrews in chapter 8 verse 7 says, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. It was created with loopholes. So there can be sought a second. The better covenant. The new covenant. Remember, the law brings death. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, If righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Righteousness doesn't come through the law. All the things that are written in the law and the prophets, they're a shadow of the things to come. And I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. It all points to Jesus Christ. And that's what the writer of Hebrews here is saying in chapter 9, verse 9. It was symbolic for the present time or that particular time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot, you see, it cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Reformation translates here as 
Messianic restoration. You know what that means? Restoration of the Messiah, which we're going to study hardcore on, in the book of Acts. You're going to see Messianic restoration or the uh, 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 gut job, so to speak, of people who believe in Jesus Christ and yield to Jesus Christ, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the Lord does a complete and total renovation inside a person's heart. Young, old, male, female, both Jew and Gentile. You see, it's a shadow of the things to come. Because you know what happens if we were to study through the law, which we're studying through the law. Satan. He takes a pious heart. He takes a heart that seeks to honor the Lord and he'll whisper lies and say, you see, it is written here in the law. You know, all these things that you should be doing. And a lot of people, they return to the law. They deny the things of the law of faith and the law of grace, which we studied last week. And they go back to the law. The very means that, that bring death. It's a trap. And so today it's an attempt to put a little safety buffer around the people of the way. Because, you know, in case the tempter whispers in your ear, hey, you know, why don't you fulfill those things of the law? No, it's to understand that these things are a shadow of the things to come. How beautiful it is that the Lord is speaking to Moses in Exodus 25 and giving him the blueprints by which, you know, the Lord says, I will meet with you and I will speak with you when he builds the mercy seat. And then makes a means for atonement using blood. And you know, in the next chapters of Exodus 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, it's so beautiful. But the beauty of those things are nothing compared to the beauty of Jesus Christ. To understand that they're symbolic. Symbolic. Because as he says in verse 9, the both gifts and sacrifices offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. And that's the difference. Righteousness doesn't come through the law. Righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. And then so look what happens here in verse 11. But Christ came as high priest. It's so... I can't put it to words. I cannot put it to words. And I don't mean to... I don't mean to bring the Lord down to human level. Even though, you know, it was done in the form of Jesus Christ. But it's brilliant. Brilliant what the Lord has done. How Jesus Christ, without sin, spotless, without sin, was the very sacrifice, the means by which we can call God Father, we can call Him Abba, Papa. It's because of Jesus Christ, who's the sacrificial lamb and also the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And it's written here in verse 11, but Christ came as high priest. It's kind of interesting to note too, that Caiaphas, remember when everybody was conspiring to kill Jesus Christ, what we studied on Sundays, the past couple Sundays, Caiaphas, the high priest of, you know, geographically on the world, you know, on earth. Caiaphas killed the real high priest, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb, it's almost as if he was preparing the Passover lamb. And I'm speaking very supernaturally. Remember when Jesus Christ died and he says to tell us die, it is finished. And he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. He took his last breath and boom. And then the earthquake happened. And you know what happened in the Holy of Holies? The veil was torn from top to bottom. From top to bottom, not bottom to top. The veil was torn for, from top to bottom. Do you remember what happened in the holy place? In accordance with the law, 
In Exodus 25, verse 22, it's where the Lord says, I will meet with you and I will speak with you. And the high priest would go in once a year in accordance with the law. But you know what? For the believer, for the Christian, for you and for me, we don't need a high priest. And, you know, human high priest. We have a high priest and I'm speaking about Jesus Christ. It's, that's why I say it's brilliant what the Lord has done. And I, 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 feel, I, I don't even feel like I'm worthy to even utter those words like that. Like, Lord, your handiwork is brilliant because it's like times a billion, times a trillion. And the veil was torn from top to bottom. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. The tabernacle that the Lord is giving blueprints to Moses, the real tabernacle, isn't part of this world. Remember when Jesus Christ, people were asking, how do we pray? And Jesus Christ says, you know, you pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be his name. Remember on earth as it is in heaven. A shadow of the things to come. The tabernacle in the heavenly realm. That's a place that you and me are going to be in in our glorified bodies. And I say that by faith. I say that by faith. You know, that same example where I said, okay, you know, Oliver's going to bench press 400 pounds. You, today you say, Jay, you're crazy. You are, you know, you're out to lunch. You're in crazy town. Well, what if I were to tell you I'm not talking about today? I'm talking about 20 years from now. And he's going to bench press 20 pounds. Or <laughs> he's going to bench press 400 pounds. And that's just, I'm just giving an example of what I'm talking about. Now, you know, from now until for the next 20 years, he's going to grow. You know, he's going to go through changes. He's going to get muscles, all these things. He'll, you know, baby steps. But what about you and me if I were to tell you, hey, one of these days, one of these days, we will be with the Lord. One of these days, you know, I wear raggedy clothes. One of these days, you know, these raggedy clothes that we wear, we're going to take them off and we're going to have robes that are bright, white, shining bright. We're going to be like the angels. He said, yeah, you're a crazy town. That's that's nonsense. It is nonsense to the carnal. But I don't speak to the carnal. I don't speak to the carnal. I speak to the living. It requires faith to understand these things. Today, you know, it's like you get up in the morning, you take up your pajamas and you put on Christ. You wear the robe today. You wear him today, tomorrow, every day. And I'm not trying to say, you know, it's a piece of cake because we're wrapped up in these earth suits. Like Paul says, I don't count myself to have attained already, but I press forward. Some people are like, man, you know, I blew it. I shouldn't have done that. And it's like, okay, you know, and then they just go off into like they make it worse. But what about if somebody comes to you and says, you know what? I blew it. This is what I did. You know what you say? You know, repent. Fall to your knees and repent. Now you have to reap what you have sown. But you've repented. Now let's move on to perfection. You have to pay the price. You have to reap what you've sown. And it's going to be terrible. But this life is just, it's nothing, you know. It's nothing. Satan is the one who wants to trick us. And make it seem like, wow, you know, look at this world. This is your home, you know. Oh, preserve the world, you know. Get an electric car, you know, so your kids can have a good environment. They can have green grass and all these things. It's like the world's going to burn. All these things are written. The same way I say, hey, you know, in 20 years, Oliver's going to be bench pressing 400 pounds. Today, you might say, Jay, you're crazy. 
But then what about 20 years from now when, you know, we're at an event and there he is, boom, just bench pressing like crazy. Who's the crazy one? But what about if I were to tell you, hey, one day you're going to be clothed in a beautiful white robe, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're going to be shining bright like the angels. You will have a glorified body one day. That's what the Lord is speaking about here. This writer of Hebrews in verse 11 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with greater and more with a with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves. That's the Old Testament. So we're going to see these ordinances in Exodus uh, 25, 26, 27, all these things that the Lord is giving blueprints and he's going to speak about the blood of animals. And you know, Satan tricks people. Satan tricks people to say, hey, go back to the law. You have to perform the works of the law. You know, look at all these holy people like Moses. Look at all these holy people like Isaiah. Look at Samuel. These things, the works of the law that they performed. Don't you want to be like them too? And rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ. Because we have a different high priest. We have the real high priest. All these things of the Old Testament, they're symbolic. And I don't mean to disrespect the handiwork of our Lord through these men, women, young and old. But to understand that Jesus Christ is preeminent over all. And so he says in verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, uh, 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 sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit Offered himself without spot, no blemishes. You remember when, you know, the law of the Passover, when the Lord says, you know, take a lamb with a male lamb without blemish. And here you have. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. That's why Caiaphas, you know. Caiaphas, when the high priest in this world says, you know, kill him, crucify him. And there Jesus Christ is on the cross and he dies. Yes, it's incredibly sad. There's a part of me that hates it. But there's another part of me, the spirit. Where it's like, man, Lord, I rejoice. It's how death turns to life. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Caiaphas was preparing the Passover lamb. You know, it's like, what Satan meant to do for, for a cause for evil, God turned it into good. All these things in your life, you know, Satan wants to use it for his evil and his means by his resources. And, you know, there's the there's, you know, you, you give it to the Lord. I, mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, cheesy or cliche, but it's like, man, you give it all to the Lord. Everything. Give it all to the Lord. And he will heal you. He will work in your life. And so what he's saying here that, you know, that uh, through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience. How much more? Like he says in verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ? And he continues at the end of verse 14, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Why, wow, you know, like if the blood of bulls and goats, the ashes of a heifer, if all these things of the law could do these things. How much more the blood of Christ? So you say, man, you know, you know, Jay, you know, we really should be here in Exodus 25. But no, we're going to take a pause from that to understand. Yes, the Lord is giving blueprints to Moses, but to understand, hey, we're people of the new covenant. You and me. We're not to go back to the law. And if you hear the voice of the tempter. Rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's so powerful here because look what he says here in verse 15. And for this reason, 
He is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. That's, you know, the transgressions under the law. That's why Paul writes to the church in Rome, hey, the law brings death. The law brings death. Remember, you know, all have fallen and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are guilty. It's to say, Lord, I need you in my life. He says, by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Now, you know what? There's a lot of people of the Calvinist persuasion who say, you see, it's only for those people who are called. I'm not a Calvinist. I reject the precepts of Calvinism 100% wholeheartedly. You know, someone might say, hey, how do I know if I'm called? I don't know if I'm called. What do I do? What do I do? I'll tell you what I say. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Because in Isaiah 66, remember, the Lord says, I called, but nobody answered. The voice of the Lord is there. I mean, how stupid would I be? If I were to tell you guys, if I were to say, man, woe is me. I'm so depressed. You know, my best friend doesn't call me anymore. You know, and all these things. I don't get any letters. I don't get any emails. No social media. No text messages. No calls. Woe is me. And I'm crying. Oh, I'm so alone. All these things. And the whole time you hear my phone ringing. And I'm saying, oh, woe is me. He never calls. You pick up my phone and you say, hey, I see the caller ID. Your friend is calling. And I continue, woe is me, woe is me. That's what the Lord says to the people of God in Isaiah 66. He says, I called, but nobody answered. So when people ever ask you, Hey, am I called? Am I part of the elect? And you know, what is it? What, what's up with this? John Calvin says this. The people who adhere to these teachings of John Calvin, they say this. And you know what I say? Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. Those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Verse 16 and 17 is pretty hardcore. He says, for where there is a testament... There must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Testator. So if I say, if I write a will, my last will and testament. And I say in my will, I want 100% of my assets, my belongings, everything to go to beautiful young fur. Beautiful young fur, he gets all of it. You think, wow, that's pretty cool. All that is, is just a piece of paper. That's all it is. It's just a piece of paper. In verse 17 says, For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So in order for my assets to transfer from me to fur, I have to die. I have to be dead. It's just a piece of paper. But once death occurs, then boom, that piece of paper becomes like fully active. Like, okay, you know, everything transfers to fur. And I'm speaking in a worldly sense to give you an example. Then you start to realize you know, like all the disciples who are rejoicing when Jesus Christ comes and he's alive. They realize why wow, he's not dead. Like we studied on Sunday. Mary, all the beautiful women. It's like, whoa. These beautiful, beautiful, tough, brave women. Women. Plural. They realize, whoa, he's dead. It becomes active because the testator died. But yet the Lord raised him up. The tomb is empty. The tomb was empty and the tomb is empty. Death has no power over him. 
And you believe in him, you abide in him, you obey him, and you know what else? Death has no power over you either. So all these things we're studying in the law, Exodus 25, 6, 7, the blueprints, it's so incredibly beautiful. So incredibly beautiful. But how much more is the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ? How much more is Jesus Christ? Look at verse 23, still in Hebrews 9. Verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these. He's speaking about the blood because in verse 22 says, without shedding of blood, there is no remission or no forgiveness. But all these things, it says in verse 23, all these things, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these. So the copies on earth are purified with blood. That's why the tabernacle in the Old Testament has the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, the sprinkling, of, 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 uh, sprinkling the unclean. But as people of the new covenant, it's a totally different ballgame. It's not that we go back to the law. We fulfilled the law. Remember what we studied last week? We fulfilled the law. He says in verse 23, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. Remember, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And what they used to do is they'd take a big rope and they'd tie it around the high priest's leg. And then so, you know, he would go in and they had the, uh, the little bells at the bottom of the rope. And so you hear him walk. You know, you wouldn't enter the Holy of Holies because it's only for the high priest. So you'd hear him walk, you know, the jingling bells. You'd hear them. And it's like, okay, he's still walking. He's walking. He's walking. And you could hear him. And he's walking with the rope and we got the other end of the rope and it's tied to his ankle. And then so if he was killed by the Lord, you know, because, you know, if like if there were sin in his life, you know, the Lord would kill him. Or if he came to the Lord and or if he did something that was improper before the Lord, he would die. And so they had these a rope on his feet. And they said, OK, we can't go into the Holy of Holies. But what if the high priest dies and we don't hear the jingling bells anymore? Then they would pull him back. See, even the, even the, like the high priest would do that, but then even like the regular priests in honoring the Lord, in fear of the Lord, they would say, we're not going to go into the Holy of Holies because we're honoring him, honoring the Lord. I think that's a powerful example for co-pastors, for elders, for deacons, for anybody who's involved in ministry, because a lot of emphasis is placed on the pastor. A lot. And you know what? Pastors get away with murder sometimes. They get away with murder. You know why? Because there's nobody who loves the Lord and fears the Lord who says, no, this isn't right. You shouldn't be doing this. You know, you shouldn't be embezzling this money. You shouldn't be reporting this stuff like you do on your taxes. To game the system. That's carnality. And just like those priests would, you know, pull the dead high priest. You have an elder who's not a yes man. Who would say, no, this is wrong, pastor. You shouldn't be doing these things. It's all these things are an example or a, 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 of the things to come. A shadow of the things to come. Like he says here in verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven, heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God to us. Not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. 
So when the Lord, like, you know, they were very difficult passages that we studied on at the end of the book of Matthew. Very difficult. I mean, you see, I mean, he was tortured. He was silent before his accusers. They'd cover his head, you know, and they would punch him. They would spit on his face, rip out his beard. And then they'd say, hey, you know, prophesy to us. Who was it that hit you? Laughing and mocking him. Then you see now, like, whoa. Obedient unto death. Obedient unto death. All these things he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's, that's why he's called the good shepherd. I feel weird because I know it's written in scripture. He's the good shepherd. But man, I like I don't have a word for it. I want to call him like the beautiful, magnificent shepherd times a billion. It's like what he has done, what God has done. And like speechless. And then he says in verse 27, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. That's a biblical truth. It's appointed for men to die once. You know, it's not like, you know, in India, you know, under uh, Hinduism, you know, you, you die and then you become a slug, you know. And if you're good, you know, maybe you'll become, a, 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 I don't know, a cat, you know. That's crazy town. That's Hinduism. It's no, it's appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. But you know what happens for those who have the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their heart? Salvation. Verse 28 says, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation or deliverance. It's a rescue. Straight up, it's a rescue mission. You see how beautiful, I mean, all these, as beautiful as they are in our study in Exodus. In the next couple chapters, it's going to be even more beautiful. But then to understand what the Lord is doing, he's presenting uh, uh, like a shadow of the things to come. You know, like he says in verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. And verse 9 says it was symbolic. Symbolic. Now, turn with me to Revelation 7. Really quick. <clears throat> Revelation 7. Verse 14. We kind of touched on this a little bit on Sunday. When, you know, John is in heaven... Or John is in uh, uh, um, the island of Patmos and, you know, he's having a vision of the Lord, a series of visions. And he sees all these people, a great multitude in heaven, which no one could number of all the nations, tribes, people and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And then, you know, one of the, one of the elders asked John in the vision, who are these? Who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? In verse 14, and I said to him, sir, you know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will dwell among them. So this heavenly tabernacle, what we read in Revelation 7, that's like the original that's the tabernacle. What we're studying in Exodus 25, it's a blueprint that the Lord is giving him, but it's a shadow of this tabernacle in heaven. And these vessels, all the things, the gold, I mean, we're going to study and we're going to see in the coming passages in Exodus 25, 6, 26, 7, 8, 9. We're going to see these passages of these vessels used for worship unto the Lord. But turn with me really quick to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy two nineteen. Second Timothy two two chapter nineteen. Er, Second Timothy two verse nineteen. Brother Paul is writing to young Timothy and says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. And I know that sounds kind of like, wait, wait a second. There's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Yes. And sometimes you talk to people and it's like, man, I'm kind of bummed out about that. What do you mean a vessel of honor and dishonor? How do I know? I don't want to be a vessel of dishonor. Well, you know what you do? Answer the phone. Answer the phone. I tell you the truth, 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, eh, 23 years ago, I was indeed a vessel of dishonor, worthy for hellfire and damnation. That was the old nature. You know what happened? By God's grace, I picked up the phone. I picked up the phone. Remember Isaiah 1, the Lord says, come and let us reason together. And that's what's so beautiful about yielding to the spirit of the Lord, yielding to his word. Because you could be the most disgusting, disgusting piece of filth known to mankind. You believe in Jesus Christ. And you start to read the Bible and you start to yield to his spirit and yield to the word. And then all of a sudden, the Lord does a complete and total gut job. That's why it's like people say, Jay, you know, I did this, I did this, I did this. It's like, okay, repent. You have to repent. Because repentance requires humility. Remember, Jesus Christ said that you read the Bible and you know, sin is thrown as far as the east is from the west. Iniquity. It's thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. The Lord doesn't remember. You know who remembers? Satan. And he'll throw it in your face. You think you can follow the Lord? You think you can believe in Jesus Christ? Look at what you did five years ago. Look at what you did three years ago. Look at what you did two years ago. Look at your outburst of rage you had two weeks ago. And you think you can praise the Lord? You know what I have to say about that? Past is prologue. Your past is your prologue, you know, and it's so powerful, so incredibly powerful what the Lord can do. Look at what he did with Moses. Look at what he's doing in Paul. Look at what he's doing in Peter. Look at what he did to these women at the, at the empty tomb. And he shows himself faithful. So this, when he says here in verse 20, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. You know what I have to say about that? I call that the plunder of Egypt. The plunder of Egypt. You say, wait a second now. Are you trying to say that the plunder of Egypt in the book of Exodus, you're liking it, you're likening it to Christians today? You betcha. That is precisely what I'm doing. Did you not come out of Egypt? Look at your past. You talk to all these people, they talk about their sex, drugs, rock and roll, all these different things. You sit down, you say, hey brother, hey sister, tell me your testimony. And then they open up and they start to say all these things and you're like, whoa, I can't believe you were involved in that lifestyle. Look at you now. Look at what the Lord has done. 
and you rejoice together. That's what I'm talking about, the plunder of Egypt. That the believer in Jesus Christ is the plunder of Egypt. Come out of Egypt and then all of a sudden used as a vessel of the Lord for his glory. He says here in verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses, cleanses himself from the latter, being the, you know, the vessel of dishonor, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. You see what the Lord is doing? What we're studying in the law in the book of Exodus is a shadow of the things to come. The tabernacle that we see in the book of, uh, what, that we're looking at in Exodus and even the holy place, the holy of holies was not yet made manifest. You know when it is made manifest? Right here and right now. It's the heavenly tabernacle. And just like we read in Revelation 7, Verse 15, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. You see, tabernacle, oneness with the Lord, the bride of Christ. And it's, it's you know, Satan might whisper in your ear. And say, okay, if you want to honor the Lord with your life, if you want to worship the Lord and you want to be a good Christian, then you know what you have to do? You, start, you have to do the things of the law. But because you know the truth of Holy Scripture and you are a person, you are a believer of the new covenant, you say, no, 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 I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Because the high priest has come. And you know what? He's coming again soon. So we're going to end our study here and then pick up in Exodus next week. Let's.